Just like many people, not a lot of people know when they're lost. And uh, our nation has lost its way. And it has so. Uh, well, welcome to the Tory Sess Show. Today is the 3rd of February. Wow. Kind of feels like we already had a week of Tory Sess Show, doesn't it? Didn't I say February is going to be really, really, really slow. You know, my inbox is constantly full with either pessimistic messages or questions like, how does this end? You know, uh, one thing that I've been saying is to trust that, that gut feeling, to learn how to do that. Because how are you going to be able to understand or see or know what the ending is like if you don't know what the beginning is? The only way to know how a story ends is to know where it begins. Therefore, those that understand the beginning definitely know the end. And there are many people, you know, that, that talk about the good old days and, oh, you know, it used to be like this, kicking the can down the road, playing jacks, riding your bikes. But that's the thing. That's the past. And then there's people that worry about tomorrow or worry. If I do this, what will happen? And that's the anxiety of what's to come that hasn't even happened yet. And I've been saying that. Your past and your future and your present are concurrent. If you live in the now and you take charge of what you can do now, everything seems to happen the way it should be. And not only that, because of your actions of the now, you already know what's to come. And that comes with knowledge, learning, learning. That's a weapon. Knowledge is a weapon, a weapon they do not want you to have. Hence why there are so many multiple psychological operations and misinformation and disinformation. I mean, there are people. Oh, and I don't even know how they have all this big following that are simply wrong. And, and it's horrible, but they will be met swiftly with the wrath of the creator. Because here's the thing. A lot of people seek from, from many avenues peace. Uh, Christians and, 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 and other religions seek the kingdom of their creator. They seek it. Well, if those that lead you tell you it's in the sky, birds will be the ones preceding you. If they tell you it's on earth, then it's the earth-dwelling beings that are going to be preceding you. What people haven't realized is that immense kingdom is right within you. Right within you. That power is within you. 
And when you get to know yourself, and this is why I'm constantly, and I'm using Chucky's words, circling back. (laughs) If you get down to the core and understand yourself, then you will obviously see who you really are. You know, we lie to ourselves all the time. You know that, right? You're in a, a relationship you can't stand, but it's convenient. You're doing a job that, oh, you want to slit your wrist while you're doing it. You can't stand it. Can't stand your manager. But you got to do it because, because. So you lie to yourself and tell yourself, it's okay. It's this. It's that. You don't take action for it right there. That is binding you to voluntary earthly bounds. Voluntarily, you are binding yourself. You bind yourself with that reasoning that we have. The reasoning, right? I've said reason is indeed the advocate to talking yourself out of everything. It is the advocate to enslave you. Learning is something you do all the time. I mean, you know, I'm an eternal student. I mean, aside from me going to different universities, attaining knowledge for whatever assignments I had, but actually pursuing um, knowledge. I mean, I, you know, I learn a lot. I delve into things. I mean, last, uh, in 2019, when I saw uh, the Kentucky elections, it was really easy with the stuff that I had to piece together what happened. So what did I do? I learned more. I learned about cryptography. I learned to see how their algorithms go. I learned to see the zero proofs. I read papers. I watched videos. I sent emails. I talked to people because I wanted to know about it. I wanted to learn. Because if I knew, then I had power over those that didn't. And those that were throwing smoke in our eyes, like those that are in elected officials or your county commissioners, your electoral board, they couldn't stand five seconds with me to have a discussion about it because I already knew all the answers. So there was no blowing smoke into my face. I could see through the fog of lies because I was learning. But more so, as you learn, as you expand your knowledge, you're able to listen to that inner voice, that inner voice that tells you, get out of that damn job. No, that relationship is crap. Hey, you know, I don't like this guy. Uh, I don't want to vote for him, but you know, he's on the Republican ticket. So, but your inner voice is like, no, don't do it. And you're just like, whatever. Reason says, well, we want all the votes for POTUS. So we're just going to do it or (laughs) straight ticket red, right? So this is all about not listening to that gut feeling, that voice inside, which is indeed the source of everything. And then one will say, well, how do I get to tune into that voice? That voice inside, that gut feeling, how do I tune in? Do I fast? Do I do secret diet? Do do I smoke cigarettes? (laughs) Do I drink coffee? What do I do? And here it is. It's simple. Stick to the truth. Not your truth, not a version of the truth. Stick to your truth. See, because if you stick to truth, nothing remains hidden. If you stick to the truth, nothing remains uncovered. Everything will be revealed. Every single thing will be revealed. But you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest, like I said, ask yourself, what is it that I really want?
Because when you get down to the question, you know, I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. What is it that you really want? Well, I just want a job, you know, stable income, my house, you know, my kids to go to good school. All right. So what can you do about that? I can apply for a better job that makes me happy. Okay, sure you can. Um, I can renovate my home. Great. I can maybe get a tutor for my kid or be more involved in their school. Great. So who facilitates uh, your job? Well, the company. And okay, so who allows the company to do business in your area? Um, I don't know. They just do. They just come. No, they don't. They have to have a reason to set up shop in your city or your state or your county or your village. Well, I guess that would be my county commissioners, my, my city commissioners. All right. So great. So if your city commissioner decides that they don't want a hotel in your area because they decided it so, then you can't have a job anymore, can you? No, I can't. Well, who decides your school, your kid's school? Uh, well, I picked the school, you know, in my district, obviously, because I live here. This is where I bought my house. Okay. But who decides the curriculum, the teachers to hire? The school. Yeah. But who, who at the school? Oh, the school board, the superintendent, you know, the people that we elect. Great. So what if they decide that they want to teach all the children about LGBTQ sexual activity at kindergarten level as your child goes to school? Um, that would be a problem. Well, you elected them, so they could do whatever they want. They have ultimate authority. I can unelect them. Yeah, sure, because everybody tells you you have to wait till the next elections to do that. I see. Well, then I'll just run for their place because I can't trust anyone with my kid's education. I want to make sure that it's straight arrow. Great. Your house, you're going to renovate it. Did you put in for a permit if you wanted an extension? Who makes those rules? Oh, your county commissioners, your city commissioners. Well, what if they decide that they just want to take your house? Ever heard of eminent domain? They could do that if they want to. So they could take your house. They can fix your school and they could get rid of your jobs. Yet everyone sits there saying, oh, what can I do? What you could do? is take those spots to make sure you have control over these things. And if your intentions are meritful and kind and generous, boy, does it come back to you tenfold. See, the one thing that I've learned, right, and this is through hardship, is that when you do something just because it's the right thing to do, you're feeling generous, right? You're feeling generous. You're like, I've got nothing Nothing. I have nothing, right? I have absolutely zero. The only thing I have which is worth value is my voice, so I will sing, or the way I dance, so I will dance, or my knowledge, so I will send it off, my art skills, so I will do, right? And as you do something, simply because you want to be generous to those around you, that generosity comes back to you 20-fold. So when you run for a position in your city council, your county commissioners, your state senate, your state house, your secretary of state, your governorship, your mayorship, or just Congress in D.C. or Senate D.C., and you do it because you want to give, boy, does it come 10-fold. 
That's what happens. It comes to you tenfold. You have to be honest with yourself. You know when something's bad, right? So when you know that something's bad, why not get rid of it? You know that people are lost. I mean, we have shepherds everywhere. Good shepherds, bad shepherds, ushering the masses with information that they're all suddenly insiders. You know, I'm the only insider that can see all your texts, by the way. (laughs) We're fighting with rage amongst each other rather than uniting. This is exactly what they wanted. And they had the same damn playbook a hundred years ago. Let's give them a flu. Let's get the race wars going. Let's get them confused. Then let's tank the market and let's do it. Yay, what if we tank the market before you? Then you want to tell us it was a bad deal. So people are confused. Wait a minute, did the people do this or did the big guys do it to screw the little people so they could tank the market? See all those people telling you that? are just as guilty as those that are committing the crimes against us. It's like we're in a den of thieves again. People are lying. Lying. Everywhere. Den of thieves. They won't sit. Do you know what your creator's greatest gift was? Knowledge and manifestation right? Knowledge and manifestation. The more knowledge you have, the more you can manifest because you already know the reality and the truth of it. That is indeed the core of everything. I'm telling you now, everyone alive right now, everyone on the right side of history and the bad side of history, you'll be echoed through time like immortalized for what's happening right now with knowledge you find solutions and solutions is how we move things along and create and manifest what we want you have the knowledge you find the solution you implement so you manifest it's pretty simple right pretty simple When you get to know yourself, you realize just how incredible you are. I know a lot of people are like, well, I'm not educated or, you know, I only finished high school. You know, I used to steal cars for a living when I was young. I smoke a lot of weed. Uh, I play a lot of video games. I, I procrastinate a lot. I've been in an abusive relationship. I've, you know, committed crimes. You know, I stole things. I uh, killed a, a, a deer in the road. I uh, drove while drunk. I texted while I was driving. All these things that you've done. So in other words, you're not smart. You're not good because you failed. I mean, that's the whole point of learning is your failure. How many times have we said that? Your failures and your mistakes should be the badges you wear. They should be the shiniest shit on your shirt. You should have them polished. Look, I did this, but guess what? I learned this from it. That person that has not failed will never know what it's like to win because they don't try. Real leaders, real people, what they do is they push forward. They're like, I don't care if I I lose. I'm going to try it, though. And it's a 50-50 shot. 
I'll put 150%. I will go up against Goliath myself if I have to. And I will die trying. That's okay. Because to myself, I'm okay with that. That's exactly how I want my life to be remembered. Damn, there was nothing that would deter me from going. That is exactly what every single one of us should feel. So how does the story end? Maybe, you know, you should look at the beginning of the story. And that beginning of the story starts with you understanding what it is. But, you know, when uh, we put out Shadowgate, we try to explain to the world just how your shadow takes over you. Shadowgate, using your shadow is using those anxieties you have, using uh, everything, every weapon in your cache that we know about. So I know what you like and you don't like, what you eat and you don't eat, what kind of people you're with. I know everything from the internet and your social media. I see everything. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this straight, right? A lot of people, well, she can't see the messages. Yeah? Well, then how did I see Adam Schiff's? You have no idea the technology we have. <laughs> and it rests in those six inches between your ears. Yeah? Just power it up. That's what's up. So I want to take you through to what your shadow really is. I found an incredible clip by Carl Jung, how the media internet reinforces shadow projection, psychology and philosophy. Take a listen. This video is sponsored by Jung's Labyrinth a psychological exploration indie game. Jung's Labyrinth is a game which uses Jungian psychology, mythology, alchemical and dream symbols. You could very well say that the most atrocious acts in human history relate to the shadow, where the projection of this shadow onto others has caused extreme amounts of suffering and harm. But what is this Jungian concept exactly? The shadow is basically the aspects of one's own nature that are not accepted consciously, that are deemed bad, vulgar, immoral, and unacceptable. What happens is that these attributes get pushed into the unconscious realm of the shadow, which are then to be veiled and hidden away from consciousness. It is not always socially unacceptable behavior that gets pushed into the shadow, but attributes like aggression can also be placed within the unconscious because, for example, you may have had a bad relationship with your family, a father may have been verbally and physically abusive, which would cause you to repress aggression into the unconscious realm, which would then limit your confidence later on in life. A very understandable example of shadow projection is by viewing the activity of a school bully. So to continue on with the past example, let's say the school kid goes to school. In his class, he notices a confident, bright kid who is speaking his own thoughts and words and the teacher is praising him for his contributions. During lunchtime, the bully starts picking on this kid. Why? Because the bully is projecting one of his shadow attributes onto him, which have not been dealt with properly, or more specifically, on one of his own emotional vulnerabilities that have not been developed or well integrated into his conscious psyche. And this is when the shadow can manifest and overcome all things within the self, which is a very very dangerous reality. For example, the Nazis. 
whereby the shadow projection was aimed at the Jews and an, and an idolized state was presented in the figure of Hitler, or at the time, or at the time, German nationalism. Anything that opposed German nationalism would have been seen as representing attributes of this shadow. Thus, to project it, we don't need to take responsibility for it, and even more, to not even acknowledge it as being part of our own psyche. Thus, you may see that shadow projection is usually done by people with a high amount of vanity at times, in the sense that they are naive of their own human darkness, and thus, it is seen as non-existent, but is projected onto whatever you may see as evil, greedy, lustful, and destructive. As many can remember, during the prosecutions of the Nazis, it was common to notice that they were only following orders and not taking responsibility for their actions, as if it was their shadow which overtook their entire being, whereby the unconscious became conscious and evil reigned where absurd Nazi regime nationalism suppressed all possible known human deficiencies into the shadow, which then were expressed in a disastrous scapegoat fashion, where the shadow took over through projection. The most famous story around this shadow would be the Cain and Abel story from the Bible. It is the idea that because someone is better than you, you desire to get rid of them, but really it is all about accepting the fact that you are just not good enough, and that you need to improve the areas in which you are envious of that is represented in the other person which you are projecting onto. And the interesting thing is that Cain, who kills Abel, thinks he is sorting the problem out, that in a sense he is confronting the shadow and fixing it, but really it is the complete opposite, and he has become engulfed within the shadow. The core message of that story to be remembered is that we are all descendants of Cain, which means that we all have the capacity for evil. And that is why Solzhenitsyn said, I quote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, not between political parties either, but right through every human heart, end quote. And also why Jung says, no tree, it is said, can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell, end quote. And I guess a modern example of the shadow negatively taken. Wait a minute. Did you guys get that? Let's, let's, let's see that statement again. No tree, it is said, can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell. Well, how does that work? Remember when we did uh, where I introduced you guys to Pandora, right? She had pity on man. She saw man was climbing to the heavens just existing sleep work breathe eat poop and that's it recycle no troubles the only way you can actually go above and beyond is if you walked in the swamp walked through hell fell down and scraped your knee failed over and over and over and over again that's the only way you grow. So when you saw someone like President Trump come up and say, I'm running, you knew just how incredible that is. Because the duality lives within you. You know, there are a lot of people that'll be like, oh, I'm indifferent about someone. That's because you haven't seen something you don't like about yourself in them. When someone doesn't like you, when they meet you, it's not because of you. It's because they see a quality in you 
that is theirs, or they see the opposite of their quality. Meaning, uh, how, how do we how do we uh, state this a little bit easier? Um, let, let's let's pretend Joe meets Mike, and Joe and Mike are in like some room, and Joe, you know hands his coffee over to some chick before he drinks it, even though they both just got the coffee because there wasn't any more. So he did the gentleman thing like to do it. So Mike gets upset because Joe did it and he wasn't going to do it. So he felt bad that Joe was better than him because he did it and he wouldn't have done it. Do you see what I'm trying to say? You just like Cain and Abel, you don't like people that do things that you weren't going to pick to do yourself. It upsets you. It aggravates you because you see that you could be that person, but you're not. And then you're angry at that person for showing you who you can be. And you're just not doing it because you, your gut already knows that you can be just as good. You could have handed over that coffee too. You could have pulled out the chair for the old lady. You could have, as you're walking the street, it's you and another dude, and this old lady's trying to walk with a walker, and the one dude goes and doesn't, and you're like, damn, all these cars here look at me, and I'm just walking along like a POS because I didn't turn around to help the old lady, but that guy did. I don't like that guy now because he made me look bad. No, you made yourself look bad because you could have thought of it. You could have taken that initiative. You see what I mean? So... We, this duplicity that I've been talking about for months, this duality that we have is like the Jekyll and Hyde within each. In order to realize the good, you have to get the bad. That's the way it is. And now you're going through that pain. Uh, yesterday, I loved hanging out with Kirsten and George. I mean, George is, you know, on the same page with me on a lot of things. And that, you know, that's, that's good. Cause we all like to be on the same page of, with a lot of things, uh, with the people we talk to, but, um, it was so enjoyable to see that there were other people that maybe thought that it should happen this way. I, I know it had to, I mean, how do you root out all the traitors? How do you make everyone eat dirt and say, please no more? And raise their hands up and say, I'm done. I'm going to take charge and do something about it. Because no one's going to come and save me. Because you were always part of the plan. You think, like, for you Christians, right? Or do you think the kingdom of heaven is going to come and find you? <laughs> you think sitting there and just praying is just going to turn up and say, here's the door. Here's the red carpet. No, you got to work for it, right? And you have to find it. See, that's... uh basically the way it goes. Intentions, intentions. Remember that intent that Comey said, she didn't have an intention. Intention is bigger than the action. So every single person should examine their intentions. As its roots reach down to hell, end quote. And I guess a modern example of the shadow negatively taking over consciousness and being relatively relatable to the Cain and Abel story would be sadly school shooters. Horrible, but that is also quite comparative. Carl Jung wrote, I quote, by not being aware of having a shadow, you declare a part of your personality to be non-existent. Then it enters the kingdom of the non-existent, which swells up and takes on enormous proportions. 
If you get rid of qualities you don't like by denying them, you become more and more unaware of what you are. You declare yourself more and more non-existent, and your devils will grow fatter and fatter." End quote. So, how can the shadow and shadow projection relate to the media or TV? Now, being less serious than my previous examples, this is just a little idea that I thought of in relation to many trash TV shows. And to me, it seems really noticeable with certain shows, depending on the people who are watching. After thinking about it a bit, it seems to me that to a degree we enjoy shadow projection through media or TV. But in a sense, we are mentally dumping a perceived personal inferiority by recognizing it as a moral deficiency in someone else. And thus, we get entertainment. A TV show that uses this as a blueprint is, I think, the Jeremy Springer show, as most Americans would know. Why? Because that show is based on the process of ridicule, blame and scapegoating, whereby the people who enter stage are relatable to the viewers to some extent, but are primarily used as scapegoats to absorb our collective shadow which exists within the social morality to represent the negative traits of ourselves, which we don't want to make conscious or deal with. And the only way we do deal with it is by using character scapegoats, which then removes personal responsibility. And then we find comfort in its entertainment value. And that is why I think that show in America was so popular at the time. It acted as a relief of our own problems, which we don't integrate, but only project. If this idea adds up, I think you can also relate it to other TV shows that are very similar, like Big Brother in the UK, or even the Jeremy Carl show in the UK as well, which is pretty much the same as the Jerry Springer show, which are designed in a way where you blanket personal inferiorities and cover them with a layer of entertainment by using a scapegoat, which you can point, laugh at and condemn. This is also rampant in the media in general. For example, social media, actually fuels from this kind of interaction. The more time they have people on social media, the more money they make. And what is the best way to keep people on social media? Well, it would be to incorporate emotional stimulation, which diverges in many different directions, but also emotions which are most paleolithically instinctive or even least socially acceptable or downtrodden emotions, which have gained place in the shadow. For example, aggression and fear. And it is no surprise that aggression on social media fuels the political campaign machine online. As depending on whatever political group you identify with, a storm of shadow projection is mounted onto the opposing side, whether it be the people who support that position or be the runner themselves. I wanted to say something on that. I think I spoke about this over a year and a half ago, kind of trying to ease people into this, right? But... um. I, I, you know, I go to church, right? So it was a, a time where I was going to this church and the people that would uh, run the choir, you know, uh, help the church, be part of the church, manage the board of the church, do everything for the church, were the most evil inside when they felt they had anonymity. So I would see them maliciously talk about politics and how people, you know, how they hated President Trump. You know why they hated him? Because they wish they were as good as him. That's what's up. All those people in the Senate, in Congress that ran against him, 
Didn't hate him because he used too much spray tan. Didn't hate him because he was spreading hate. They hated him because he was a better man than they were. He was a good man. He was trying to give back to the nation. They hated him because they hated to see just how amazing and how praised and loved someone that is generous with whatever they have to give. That be your word, your song, your dance, your money, your time. And he received it tenfold. The GOP had never seen money like that before, ever. And they're never going to see it again either, <laughs> ever. That's it. The shadow net, it was built to eat away at that shadow. There was a saint, I don't recall his name right now, and I read all the viosis, which is the stories of saints. I do that on my, whenever I have a breather, I'll like troll the, uh, you know, Greek Orthodox church thing and, and look at what saints up now, you know, uh, let me see their story. How were they martyred? Right. And there was a saint that, uh, had prophesied that, uh, and they were a recent saint. So it was like the beginning of the 19th century that when people tune in to, you know, they create earthly gods and they uh, listen to them. And, you know, the TV, the internet, it was like, what was it, 1970? I just don't remember when he wrote this. Gosh darn it. I'll look it up. Next time I, on Sunday when it's church day, I'll, I'll look through it and I'm sure I'll find it. But he said that behind the screen, your true self comes out. And I told you that on the New Year's episode where I talked about AI in China. Your AI profile, what you search, what you like, what you hate, what you say in messages, what you do, everything in cyberspace is the real you. And the majority of it is your freaking shadow. As long as you've fed it. This is why we have trolls. This is why people are vicious online and nasty. And some of them know that you have a shadow, so they pick on the part that tries to redeem itself. Kind of like what Ali Akbar did, right? Akbar would find that hook. I'm Christian, and he bitches, and he started making them all do the color revolution and crowns and orange. And he bit at those people that were seeking redemption in the wrong way. Because they were all malicious and nasty. How are you a good person saying you're following someone because they're telling you all these nice things and God and the kingdom and this, but then you spit hate and vinegar and poison online? You can't do that. That's your shadow. That's your shadow. And your shadow is playing a really important part right now. That little earwig from the construct. The construct that man-made gods, those in office, those on your TV, those with the blue check marks, right, have built their own kingdom on freaking sand. We didn't give them any foundations. They just threw it out and built it. It's all built on sand. They have their castles on sand. And guess what? Why do I say this? Because you're the damn sand particle. They built their kingdoms on your back. Your back. Not their moms. Well, maybe. They're so disgusting, they'd probably sell their moms for a dollar. 
on your back completely. You're the sand and their kingdom lies on your back. And therefore, loads of hate emerges and this is what keeps people online in that sense. Overall, shadow projection divides people massively throughout the world. It is as though we use the outer world as a canvas on which to project inner emotions we would usually suppress. But if people acknowledged their own shadow and did shadow work, we would probably not even have half the amount of conflict we have today because what people would do is analyze themselves or journal their reactions to try and figure out what the main problem is that is causing someone to reject their shadow. And that is the most basic lesson from Jungian psychology, which is to perform introspection to try and find out the reasons why you are projecting in the first place to become more individuated. But projection isn't just shadow related. It also relates to the anima. And you see this form of projection in relation to men who are addicted to something like porn. They will project their anima, which is their male conception of the feminine, towards pornography. And what they will do is break down their anima and really ruin a man's relationship to the feminine. Because what they will become is a slave to their emotions. And that is, in a metaphorical sense, the Antichrist. Because the archetypal logos or masculine, which is the rational, the logical, dominant and object-orientated will, will become overrun by this very pathetic conception of the anima and then drain the man's life force. This will all be, in a sense, unconscious because it won't be the man choosing to watch porn, but it will be his poorly constructed anima and rampant unconscious emotions that will be making the demands. So that's another example of projection, which is really, really bad. It's interesting to think of technology with a Jungian lens because the main negative of technology is how addictive it is. And I find this relationship or form of addiction or love very comparative to the Greek god Eros. This god would bring about confusion and irrepressible feelings. In the words of Hesiod, he loosens the limbs and weakens the mind. And I find it very peculiar that most AI goes by a feminine name like Cortana or Alexia, and they all have this female voice. It's like the internet is this very negative, soul-sucking feminine construction due to the way people become addicted to it and how it seduces the victim through comfort and dopamine release, which keeps them coming back, which is very similar to the devouring mother archetype in Jungian psychology. Even the term World Wide Web brings about images in one's mind of how this system is no different from a spider's web. It catches you, and the spider comes along and feeds on you, just like how the internet sucks away your life force bit by bit. Therefore, one is not individually in control, and the logos become suppressed. There is a lack of an even balance. And it's interesting to see how Jung used the dichotomy of the logos and the eros because he viewed it as being analogous to the Eastern concept of the yin and yang. Now, before I end, I want to play this very eerie yet rare recording of Carl Jung who alluded to the possible future dangers of non-human to human contact and engagement that consists in something like the internet, where parts of people, whether it be audio recording or the internet, become attached to things, but are not really present in the full moment. And how this could lead us into a future which could seriously damage our psyche, which already has. So here's the audio clip. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, 
Here are some greetings for you. I can't conceal the fact that I dislike the performance thoroughly, but I'm told that you like my voice better than I do. Since I am expected to behave uh, like an unselfish person, I will make the effort to speak uh, to your imaginary presence. I have been uh, born and I lived uh, in a time where there existed nothing like artificial and disembodied voices, except in lunatic asylums. Now I shall submit to the demand to become one of those disconnected and abstract vocal existences, which are certainly a most alarming symptom of our crazy present. We are all a bit disconnected from the past, uprooted from our soil and floating on uncertain airs. That is the reason why I dislike to become one of those depersonalized voices separated from my living personal existence. It is just the contrary of what my daily endeavor was in the last 50 years, namely to help people to get back to their roots, uh, to the totality of their being. If you enjoyed this video and found it insightful, make sure to like, subscribe and comment down below to get involved in the discussion. Talking about discussion, you can... Here's the guy's... Um link it's called thoughts on thinking um subscribe there we go and i'm gonna go to his patreon too and drop him a dollar i really wish everybody had dollar ones i put dollar ones too so that way everybody can get a piece but if you heard young right he said that humans becoming disconnected we've talked about this over the past three years like crazy this disconnection and what's there is software and technology that can respond to you on social media just as if they were regular people. And then you respond. And then it responds. And then you respond. How do I know this? Well, you know, you don't even have to listen to me. Patrick Berge created it. You need to rewatch Shadowgate. You find your target. I want to target Joe. I pull all his social media profile. I know how he speaks. I use his words against him. That's what bots do. They're programs and they attack you. <laughs> and you feed them. That's why we say feed the trolls. There's a, an American Indian proverb story of a bear. It says that every single person has like a bear, a monster inside them. And there's two of them. It just depends which one you're going to feed. There's a movie that showed it as a wolf. Are you going to feed the angry wolf or the good wolf, right? These are all things you need to be aware of as this month goes on. And the next, and the next, and the next. Because we've got four years to get that. Four years we've got to get this done. And the president is working hard. There are a lot of people working. And boy, where the... Ooh, where are the shepherds? They've all been scattered. Where are they? Where are they? Den of thieves. Den of thieves that people invested in. Their time, their love, their likes, their money. And you sit there and continuously think of yourself. The more you think of the, yourself, the more you will be silenced. 
the more you think of yourself, the more you will be exposed. Knowledge and manifestation. That's how it is. All the enemies of our nation are revealed. I'll tell you what. Here's a tidbit. Governor Cuomo, the state of New York, has hidden and disallowed us to see the crimes that they committed in these nursing homes. Which, by the way, yesterday, I was plowing through databases of people in nursing homes and aftercare homes in Wisconsin that were dropping ballots for dead people, but that's another story. <laughs> the crimes they committed from Long Island to New Jersey, it'll go dark. You watch it. They, everything will be exposed. Every single bit of it. And the old ways, as they say, old school stuff, right? Where we roll up the sleeves, knit and gritty, it's coming. It's coming. We've got the rock in our hand. And while they might think it's a pebble, well, you might think it's a pebble. How's this? You think it's a pebble. You think the rock you're throwing against them is a pebble. I tell you what, it's a goddamn boulder. That's going to knock them out so hard. Nothing can stop what's coming. Absolutely nothing. Because the more you understand yourself and you realize the power you have, the more you're unstoppable. I really wish people would take time to know themselves and understand what they want. Because everyone is so disconnected <laughs> to these echoes online, to these nice graphics and music, right? But the truth be said, your gut tells you a lot more. Your gut can fine-tune and listen to those frequencies that tell you everything you need. Everything. Did you know that back in the day, you know what? We'll keep that for the second hour because you need to know the history of a certain law to understand just how powerful it is. I think maybe I found this amazing um, clip about civilization's greatest revolutions. Now it's 2021. We don't bleed. We don't shoot. We don't even need one bullet. We don't need to set the world physically on fire. Yet we're burning all those that wish to do so. Let's take a time travel trip back in time through history always move in a straight line sometimes we take one step forward then stumble a few back only to turn around and leap daringly into an unknowable future this is a 2600 year timeline of these most pivotal moments the revolutions that created our modern world ancient rome was a violent vengeful place Lucius Tarquinius Superbus, the seventh king, took power after orchestrating the assassination of his predecessor. Tarquinius then moved quickly to execute senators who were disloyal to him, freeing him to embark on a string of successful conquests. But the Roman public eventually grew angry at their king's relentless demands, and when Tarquinius' son Sextus raped a noblewoman who then killed herself out of shame, 
the public's outrage boiled over. Lucius Hunius Brutus, head of the king's personal bodyguard, seized the moment and convinced the legislators to exile Tarquinius. The Roman Republic was thus established, with Brutus elected co-counsel. His first act was swearing a collective oath with his people to never again allow a man to become king in Rome. Eighty-two years later, commoners and slaves rose up in Corsera during the fifth year of the Peloponnesian War. After seizing control, they successfully resisted the more powerful Athenians and other forces who attempted to take the city by sea. The Maccabean Revolt saw lighter, quicker forces achieve a series of decisive victories over the slower, bulkier army of the Seleucid Empire, an event that returned Jewish worship to Jerusalem and is commemorated today with the observation of Hanukkah. A century of frequent warfare and civil unrest in Rome culminated with Augustus becoming emperor. This dramatic end to the Roman Republic shifted power away from the people and began the first phase of the Roman Empire. Zooming forward nearly 800 years, we see one of history's most well-organized revolutions, the Abbasid family's overthrow of the Umayyad Caliphate. This moment marked the end of the Arab Empire and the beginning of a more multi-ethnic Middle East. The central Italian city-state of Florence lurched through a period of great change at the end of the Middle Ages. In 1252, it introduced the florin, Europe's first gold coin of significance in over five centuries. Its popularity made Florentine bankers extremely rich. But these newly powerful mercantile elites didn't like to share power, forcing the oppressed labor class to rise up and seize control of the government. Observing this, the banker Cosimo de' Medici chose to use his immense fortune to rule from behind the scenes for three decades. This move towards obscurity paid off as three members of his family became pope. In 1530, a Spanish siege and capture ended the Republic, but not before its infamously cutthroat political system was immortalized in Machiavelli's The Prince, a highly influential treatise by the founder of modern political science. Later in the 16th century, William of Orange led a revolt against the Spanish crown. This started the Eighty Years' War, which eventually resulted in the founding of the independent Dutch Republic, the first successful secession in European history. The nine-year English Civil War resulted in a king losing his head, the Church of England losing much of its influence, the monarch losing power to Parliament, and 11% of the total population of England, Scotland, and Wales losing their lives through either plague, war, or famine. With the English crown severely weakened, the unpopular King James II, a Catholic, was unable to stop his Protestant son-in-law, William, the leader of the Netherlands, from invading. After King James fled to France, Parliament accepted his daughter and son-in-law as co-regents only after they signed the 1689 Bill of Rights. A century after the fall of King James II, the 13 American colonies on the other side of the Atlantic determined their rights as Englishmen were being infringed by the tyrannical King George and declared themselves free and independent states in July 1776. Forced out of Boston, British redcoats held New York City for the entire war, but the English were ultimately defeated by the Americans, who were led by the brilliant General George Washington, who had formed a pivotal alliance with the French. The revolutionaries founded the United States of America and adopted a democratic constitution, triggering a wave of political change around the world. That wave crashed onto the shores of France in 1789, when an overtaxed people embarked on a violent 10-year revolution to overthrow the monarchy and establish a republic. 
Inspired by the Americans and the ideas of the European Enlightenment, the Bastille was stormed, the rights of man and citizen were declared, feudalism was abolished, democracy was established, freedom of religion was embraced, and civil rights were won for blacks, gays, and Jews. Wait a minute. Let's stop it right there. So are you saying the American Revolution inspired other nations around the world to do, to do the same? Are you saying that they wanted to abolish royalty and monarchs? So then what happened? This is the 1700s, 1800s. Why are we in the same position again? Only now we have the internet and the wars are fought with no blood, mostly, right? Why are we in the same position again? Oh, is it that we don't learn? No, because we got comfortable. They started to learn. They started to learn. And just like Jung said, you are uprooted from your history. They've dazzled you with Hollywood and music and dancing. With the internet, which was a double-edged sword for them. Give them distractions. Let us put them online and hold them hostage. But at the same time, you gave us access to pure knowledge, which their activities as of 2010 was to sequester that knowledge. And so the corporations, the new monarchs, have risen. The new monarchs. And this is why it's important to use the ancient writs. Ancient. You know, I had a troll in the Ohio room talking about straw man. Or, you know, I'm, I don't do that. I know that there are citizen grand juries. I know we can do this. But people frown upon it. Oh, that's just like, uh. and it's like so dumb. You just want to push away your rights. Well, let's talk a little bit about what, what this writ quo warranto really was. Did you know that in English law, it was implemented so that the king can evict someone from a position? It literally means by what authority do you have there? It was intended as a weapon by royalty against its own people. Yes, it was. It was an ancient writ from the English monarchy. And it was actually adopted in 1776 by the American colleagues. That is how we had our revolution. With the writ quo warranto. No, whoa. So history does repeat itself. And we still have that weapon in our chest. Yet some of the colonies, a.k.a. states now, removed your right to that. Hmm. Did you know that? Did you know that the American colonies, when they went through their revolution, that's how we evolved from England, from a colony of the crown to an independent nation by using the writ quo warranto. It's so incredible that people don't know their history. And this is why Ohio being a state, you win Ohio, you win the election. There we go. There we go. Because you know what? It's actually been used in this state a lot. A lot. And the way we change things is by showing the change. Didn't America free itself from the monarch and expire the French? Well, Ohio, South Carolina, Minnesota. Those are the states that are going to empower all the other states to find ways and avenues 
to revolt in a very civilized manner. There need not be any blood. You use exactly what you need, and that's knowledge. Knowledge of what was in the past, because the past proves the future. Although the revolution included the reign of terror and set the stage for the dictatorial conquests of Napoleon, the dynamic France that emerged became a vital beacon of liberty. The French Revolution sought to benefit humanity as a whole and is one of the most pivotal moments in modern history, accelerating the rise of republics and democracies throughout the world. Two years after the French Revolution began, blacks in the French colony of Saint-Omagne on the island of Hispaniola launched history's greatest slave uprising. In cooperation with their former biracial rivals, a massive black insurgency threw aside the plantation system and, under the command of Jean-Jacques Dessaline, successfully ended the revolution by defeating the French army in the Battle of Vertières. This defining moment in racial history challenged long-held beliefs of black inferiority. The rebels' organization and tenacity shocked and frightened slaveholders, and the Haitian Revolution is the only slave uprising in history to lead to the founding of a free state ruled by non-whites and former captives. Taking their cue from the Americans, French, and Haitians, Latin America rose up against their Portuguese and Spanish colonial rulers so suddenly that every country on the mainland but two gained their independence in the 15 years between 1810 and 1825. Back in Europe, 1830 saw a slew of revolutions around the continent. Belgium seceded from the Kingdom of the Netherlands. The Swiss peacefully took to the streets to force constitutional reform. France overthrew King Charles X. Italy unsuccessfully attempted to unite. Portugal endured a civil war, and there was a failed revolution in Poland against the Tsar of Russia. Eighteen years later, the most widespread revolutionary wave in history hit Europe and parts of Latin America, as democratic movements took aim at dismantling feudal structures once and for all. Again, France provided the spark when it brought down the Orléans monarchy. Before long, over 50 countries were experiencing unrest, but amazingly, there was no coordination between the various revolutions. There didn't need to be. Squalor, famine, and disease were rampant, and a groundswell of dissatisfaction had spread throughout the poor and working classes of Europe. Loosely formed revolutionary coalitions broke down, and tens of thousands were killed. Even more fled, with many crossing the Atlantic to the United States. When the dust settled, what initially seemed like a series of failed movements turned out to be a period of significant upheaval. Serfdom was abolished in Austria and Hungary, Denmark's absolute monarchy ended, and parliamentary democracy was introduced in the Netherlands. By the middle of the 19th century, a feudal military dictatorship in Japan had been in power for seven centuries, but in 1868, the last shogun, Tokugawa Yoshinobu, was ousted in a coup and a new young emperor named Meiji became the supreme executive authority. Meiji moved the government to the former shogun capital of Edu and renamed it Tokyo, meaning eastern capital. What followed was a period of rapid modernization that included the construction of Japan's first railroad, telegraph lines linking all major cities, and the creation of a European-style banking system. With the introduction of the Meiji Constitution that established a democratically elected parliament, the stage was set for an industrialized Japan to rise over the next century. After overthrowing the 30-year dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz, Mexico experienced a 10-year struggle between multiple armed rebel groups who fought both amongst themselves and with the government, 
Eventually, the fighting subsided and a constitutional republic was established. In China, it took many revolts and uprisings to overthrow 2,000 years of imperial dynasty. But with the abdication of Puyi, the six-year-old last emperor in 1912, the dawn of the Republic of China was at hand. For more than 300 years, the Romanov dynasty ruled Russia. But by 1917, the people had had enough of Tsar Nicholas II. The government was corrupt and horribly inefficient. The event that finally broke the people's will was World War I, which killed more than 2.5 million Russians. When food riots in the capital, Petrograd, turned into an open revolt, the Tsar was forced to abdicate. Wisely, his brother also said no thanks to the throne, ending the dynasty for good. The provisional government that followed actually wanted to continue the war, but within months it too had collapsed in the face of an organized, relentless communist opposition. The Bolsheviks, led by Vladimir Lenin, seized power, moved the capital to Moscow, ended the war, fought off challenges by counter-revolutionaries and rival socialists, and established the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, USSR, in 1922. Meanwhile, the German people suffered many of the same hardships as the Russians. In the winter of 1918, food and fuel shortages hit just as the deadliest flu epidemic in human history was sweeping the world. The imperial government of Wilhelm II fell, replaced by the Weimar Republic, a semi-presidential representative democracy. Another consequence of World War I was the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. Mustafa Kemal, a successful military officer, led the resistance to Soviet, Greek, Italian, and French occupation all at once. After Turkey's territorial boundaries were in place, Kemal became the country's first president. The caliphate was abolished, and in 1928, Turkey officially became a purely secular republic. The defeat of Germany in World War I caused great suffering and resentment among its people, creating the perfect conditions for the successful propaganda campaign of Adolf Hitler. His furiously nationalist far-right Nazi party took power in 1933 when Hitler was appointed Chancellor of Germany. The Nazis used intimidation and violence to consolidate authority, then embarked on the military conquests that set off World War II. In the Pacific theater of the Second World War, Indonesia declared its independence in 1945, the same day its Japanese rulers surrendered to the Allies. After initially struggling with Dutch efforts to manage it as a colony, Indonesia emerged as a free state in 1949, with revolutionary hero Sukarno becoming its first president. The independence movement in India lasted an astounding 190 years. First, revolutionaries had to free themselves from the powerful East India Company, then take on the British Empire. After making massive contributions to the British victories in both world wars, the Indian people were growing increasingly frustrated at their second-class status. By 1920, a lawyer named Mahatma Gandhi had emerged as one of the most influential leaders in the history of the world. He energized and inspired the Indian people with his non-violent, non-cooperation movement, which included a spectacular three-and-a-half-week protest march to the sea and multiple imprisonments for acts of civil disobedience. Decades passed, but after the Labour Party was victorious in the 1945 British parliamentary elections, a new stance toward India was adopted, allowing for India to negotiate its independence in the summer of 1947. This was a bittersweet moment for Gandhi, for self-government came at a high price. Instead of remaining unified, British India was partitioned into two nations, India and Pakistan. 
1949 revolution was the culmination of the 28-year rise of the Chinese Communist Party. During World War II, the Communists formed an alliance with their rivals, the Chinese Nationalist Party, in order to defeat Japan. When the Japanese surrendered to end the war, the Communists and Nationalists rushed to take over territory and assets, and before long, they were fighting one another. Since the Nationalists controlled the government, they had superior numbers and commanded the Air Force. But the Communists, led by their chairman, Mao Zedong, were better organized. Before long, the Communists began piling up military victories, bringing more and more cities under their control. By August 1948, inflation reached extreme levels, and soon the cities of Suzhou, Tianjin, Beijing, and the then capital Nanjing all fell into communist hands. Defeated, the nationalists took the Air Force, Navy, and most of the government's gold reserves and re-established itself on the island of Taiwan. In control of the mainland, Mao declared Beijing the capital of the newly established People's Republic of China, which he ruled for 27 years as an autocrat until his death in 1976. There were two Vietnams in 1946, a communist north and a non-communist south. After fighting an eight-year war of independence with the French, the ceasefire terms awarded freedom for the north, the communist Democratic Republic of Vietnam. Egypt's monarchy was overthrown in 1952 regime that's still in power today. After the movement for Algerian independence began during the First World War, France promised to eventually grant the North African nation its independence. The Algerians were patient and tried to win their freedom through peaceful means. However, when they protested, they were met with violence and endured massacres that killed as many as 40,000 people. In October 1954, an uprising spread quickly throughout the country. The French reaction was forceful and extreme. It poured more than 2 million troops into the eight-year war, including a one-time installation of 500,000 soldiers in the capital. Do you guys know why France loves the coast of Africa? Remember when the implosion happened in Beirut, how France said, yeah, since we can't take back and Algeria and Angola, maybe we should just come here and save you. Lots of diamonds in Angola and Algeria. Lots of diamonds. But the effective use of guerrilla warfare, outbreaks of terrorism, and sustained rebel control of mountainous areas wore the French down. Charles de Gaulle, the president of France, eventually allowed Algerians to vote on their independence. The key word, he allowed many as an airport named after him. He massacred people there. He went in there to take over a nation that wasn't his. He wanted control of that nation, yet has, he has been glorified with Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris. Just saying passed with over 99.7% support. The Algerian Revolution was an important decolonization war and led to the loss of French prestige abroad. The Derg is the short name for the military council that took power in Ethiopia after the fall of Emperor Haile Selassie. To impose its will, the communist Derg executed and imprisoned tens of thousands of opponents without trial. Two key events hastened the fall of the fascist dictatorship of Premier Marcelo Cayetano, one was the regime's attempts to force army officers to fight unpopular colonial wars. The other was the publication of a book called Portugal and the Future by war hero general Antonio de Spinola, who convincingly argued against Caetano's leadership. Around 250 military officers orchestrated a bloodless coup, sending Caetano into exile. Some Portuguese demonstrated by placing carnations in soldiers' guns. Rival political groups tried to fill the power vacuum, propelling the country through a series of dramatic shifts in leadership. But the people were determined to shape their future, 
And in 1975, an election for the National Assembly drew 92% of eligible voters to the polls, a record in the history of Western Europe. The colonial occupations ended, and by the end of the 20th century, with the military withdrawn from politics, Portugal's system of democracy had become solidified. What was initially an uprising against forced cotton cultivation in Angola turned into a struggle to liberate the entire colony from Portuguese control. After the revolution in Portugal brought a new government to power, it withdrew all of its forces from the country in 1975. And after a brief civil struggle, Angola officially gained its independence. Mozambique also freed itself from Portuguese colonial rule. With the support of the Soviet Union and China, it fought a decade-long guerrilla war to win a negotiated independence in 1975. The communists, called the Khmer Rouge, won the Cambodian Civil War and installed a government led by Pol Pot. Pot's totalitarian dictatorship committed one of the worst genocides in history, killing 25% of Cambodia's 8 million people in just four years. In 1953, the Americans and British helped remove Iran's prime minister in a coup, so the Westerners preferred... Wait, do you know who did that? Let's remember. It was Peter Strzok's dad and Barack Hussein Obama's foster, non-biological mom, Stanley Ann Dunham. Leader, the Shah, would continue his rule unchallenged. Shah is another term for a king. By the late 1970s, the Shah's reign was going on four decades. Despite a swiftly expanding economy, many Iranians felt left behind by the pace of modernization. As protests against the Shah intensified, a religious leader named Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, who'd been living in exile... Okay, so let me explain this to you. So they removed a leader that was too old school. In the beginning of the 70s, the United States and the United Kingdom said, let's make everyone liberal. So they brought them in. They were wearing the hottest skirts, the shortest skirts. They gave them the 60s on tap for four years and everything was modernized and people felt like they were losing their identity because suddenly everything was different. It wasn't Iranian anymore. It wasn't Persian. It wasn't their history. They wanted to stick to their history, not, you know, hardcore Islam. They wanted, they wanted uh, what, what they felt was their history, their descendants, their, their culture. It was being ripped apart. So what happened? Years later, Peter Strzok's dad and Barack Hussein Obama's mom pushed people to the other extreme, which is to want rule, which is to want a dictator. You know, in the United States, it didn't work in four years and eight years in order to get it done because they did in 1978, right? It didn't happen then. In the United States, they gave us all that brainwashing that liberalism in doses, light doses, here, there, because we're pretty diverse within our states. Take us to the extreme left so all we can mandate is authority and submission that the government will save us. Yet they fucked up because <laughs> they forget that those people that they have been inching and chipping away at our culture, at our history, right? Ah, we stay in the middle, like I said. Is these generations right now that are listening and actively participating and voting that are going to take it down because they thought they had it all planned out. You cannot have a melting pot of people that sought to create a nation unlike any other. You cannot. You were patient, weren't you? You gave us 50 years, didn't you? You waited. 
and waited and did it in subtle ways to mesmerize us and throw us into the future with your little hacks and your theft from the future, right? But no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. This history of Iran that you're listening to now is what you have been undergoing. This nation has been undergoing for the past 50 years. So their eight years was your 50 because they knew it would take longer. Well, for 15 years, quickly gained a groundswell of populist support. When the government resorted to violence against the uprising, it became clear the regime had lost its credibility and the Shah fled the country. Khomeini returned to Tehran and was greeted by more than one million supporters in the capital. In a rejection of Western values, Iran became an Islamic Republic and Khomeini its first supreme leader. The Samosa family's dynasty in Nicaragua lasted for 43 years until the Sandinista National Liberation Front mounted a sustained, years-long insurgency that brought it down in July 1979. But the real battle was just beginning, as the Sandinista government, backed by the Soviet Union, fought an eight-year civil war with the Contras, a military group funded by the United States. Fortunately, a 1987 peace agreement shifted the focus from combat to politics. The 21-year authoritarian rule of Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos ended when Corazon Aquino, the widow of an assassinated opposition leader, challenged her nation to hit the streets in massive displays of public disobedience. Marcos tried to rig the election, but the people revolted and Aquino became president, the first woman in Asia to hold title. A major split between the Soviet Union and China in 1960 broke the unity of the communist bloc. From that moment on, the sun was setting on the USSR. For a time, it stood tall against the US-led Western alliance in many conflicts and struggles for power during the Cold War. But when communism began collapsing in Eastern Europe in the late 80s, Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev stood by as the dominoes fell. Poland was the first country to switch to a democratic government, and Lithuania was the first to declare its independence from the USSR. These events set off a wave of change, and by the end of 1991, 14 countries had declared independence from the Soviet Union. What was left became Russia, which also had a democratically elected anti-communist leader. The Cold War had come to an end. And with the dominant supporter of communism gone, the rest of the world quickly abandoned the ideology too. The racially discriminatory and segregationist system of apartheid in South Africa, where a smaller white population dominated the economic and political rights of a larger black majority, came to a close after years of negotiation allowed a truly democratic election in 1994. The winner was the revolutionary hero, Nelson Mandela. Yugoslavian President Slobodan Milosevic was overthrown after repressing his opponents, refusing to let go of power, and ordering his forces to commit war crimes during the Kosovo conflict. No action helped bring a swift end to the bloodshed and Milosevic to justice. Twenty days of protests against the ineffective government of Georgia culminated in opposition leader Mikhail Saakashvili storming a parliament session while carrying a red rose. Two months later, he won the presidency in an unopposed election. He then embraced a pro-Western foreign policy and declared European integration as his main priority, creating tensions with Russia that continue to this day. A leaked audio recording of Ukraine's president ordering the kidnapping of a journalist helped fuel protests against his government's poor handling of the economy. Around 20% of the country participated in the Orange Revolution that made opposition leader Viktor Yushchenko president after he survived being poisoned in a failed assassination attempt. 
The presidency of Kurmanbek Bakiyev in Kyrgyzstan collapsed after his government became increasingly authoritarian and corrupt. When he tried to rig his re-election, the people revolted and he fled the country. In December 2010, a street vendor in Tunisia lit himself on fire to protest the humiliation and harassment he suffered at the hands of a corrupt government. Inspired by his incredible act of self-sacrifice, thousands of Tunisians filled the streets to protest high unemployment, inflation of food prices, corruption, and a lack of political freedom. Just 28 days later, President Ben Ali fled the country. Soon, the entire Arab world was hit with a wave of demonstrations, protests, riots, coups, and civil wars. For the first time, the world was seeing the power of SMS and the internet as revolutionary tools. Many of the civil uprisings were met with violent responses from authorities. Hundreds of thousands have died, and millions have fled from the large-scale conflicts that erupted. The Syrian Civil War, the Iraqi Civil War with ISIS, the Egyptian crisis and ousting of President Hosni Mubarak, the Libyan Civil War that killed Muammar Gaddafi, and the crisis in Yemen. Although the ultimate outcome of the Arab Spring is not yet known, so far only the Tunisian Revolution has resulted in constitutional democratic governance. Do you remember who was talking about the Arab Spring? Yeah. It was those... Barack Hussein Obama loyalists that were caught on the Zoom calls that were calling for a federal coup. And like you heard with my frustration yesterday with um, George was that they didn't listen. We could have kept it simple rather than chase our tails like they said they would make us do. We had their plan. They had planned this out. They wanted the Arab Spring. They wanted the blood on the streets. They wanted the revolutions as such. So that way they can create the turmoil they need. But oh, oh, oh. See, when you know your history well and you haven't been uprooted, probably because you can move through time and see, as long as you have that grasp, then... You don't play into their trap. Like I said, you could have had all the election fraud you want. Yesterday, I'm putting it together to submit it into the courts, right? I'm plowing through millions and millions of lines of data provided by the Secretary of State, clearly showing election fraud, but they don't care. They don't. Because you don't have standing. Well, watch us stand. Because today you're going to understand how we stand and how we use the tools that were created for evil and turn them into good. In November 2013, Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych refused to sign a deal he had previously agreed to that would have created a closer relationship between Ukraine and the European Union. Instead, he agreed to terms with Russia after President Vladimir Putin offered $15 billion in loans in exchange for rejecting the EU deal. Yep, and that's cue music. That's when Biden walked in, bought the government, slotted his son in, brought Chinese money from China by way of his son. <laughs> they created that. Because Ukraine didn't want to submit. Putin said, hey, you don't have to. You don't have to be their biatch. I'll give you the loans you want. I'll help. I'll do what I can. That's what he said. And they didn't like it. Yet the Ukraine had a long-standing history with Russia. It would make sense, wouldn't it? It's kind of like, let's pretend that our nation was split. Let's pretend, right? Let's pretend that we didn't have 
that we didn't have uh, states combined now. And then 50 years later, California decides to say, hey, you know, maybe we should join forces in trade. I, I think it would be good if we join forces in trade because we have a history together of over 200 years. Let's get together and chat. Let's get together and work together because we have history. You see, that's how it works. On that note, let's take a small break and fill up those coffee cups. I haven't been completing them because I just simply want what is best and usually the fruits of my effort do not. Okay, I don't know where that's going. Anyway. Okay. Showcasing a young artist. Here we go. Let's just get into it. Okay, so she's pretty awesome, isn't she? Uh, young girl, not mine. <laughs> My daughter, she usually does come at me. Why do you always put these videos on of people that can't sing? And it's like, well, they can. 
Their frequency, though it may not sound like those that, you know, we are used to hearing, tug at our core, at our atoms in different ways. And that rendition, I think, was less aggressive and more accepting for you to understand that everything we do and when we set fires, it's not because we want to burn it all down. I mean, I do, but, you know, I've unleashed it all per se. But it's because you want to regrow, scorch the earth to reseed it. Now, many times in history, as in war, relationships, politics, science, things are weaponized. Things are created with the intention to do harm because people feel that they must sacrifice somebody else or somebody else's rights or life or speech or anything to get ahead in life. And that's not the way it is. There is an incredible abundance of love. And this is why on Twitch, I uh, raid people, random people. I mean, yesterday we, we raided someone that was Twerk Tuesday. Let me tell you something. I don't usually listen to that music, but it totally felt amazing at that point. She had so much good energy and I was dancing in my seat and she was super smoking hot too, right? And, you know, she had a camera on her, camera on the side so she could twerk too. So it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. But it was the energy that I saw that attracted me to it. So we all got that energy, right? It's the energy that transpires, the excitement, the movement, the voice, the actions. So even though the songs were crass, right? Even though they were crass, the way they were provided to us was hyping you up, right? If that makes sense. And this is the thing that we should all be doing. It's we should be spreading our love and going places that make us uncomfortable and seeing things, speaking about things, enjoying things that may be different, but the timing has to be right too, right? Because if we were watching her, you know, and rated her channel, I don't know, two weeks ago, it'd be like, click, I'm out, right? Uh, so um, it's kind of like that leftist channel we trolled. And then when he realized that we, we love our president, uh, you know, and he wanted communism, it was different. You know, it's all about acceptance and, and getting uncomfortable. Now, one thing that President Trump did was showcase John Adams at some times, right? Did you know that, you know, obviously everybody knows that when John Adams uh, was on his way out, um, he rushed the Judiciary Act of 1801. He filled up all the judicial vacancies, kind of like what President Trump did, but he didn't do it at midnight, uh, you know, before anything. So uh, the minute Jefferson... Congress came in, they repealed the act and abolished the federal courts. Well, abolished some federal courts. 
But what that did was it strengthened the state's course in the process. Now, when the quid, when the when the writ quo warranto and writ mandamus, which Sidney Powell used, if you remember. So for those of you talking crap like, you know, straw man, please move along. So the writ quo warranto, the Q warrant, as I call it, um, was fundamentally weak in the state courts because they weren't empowered. So um, because it was fundamentally weak in the state's courts when it was done, because it was more power to the federal courts when it was enacted, right, so that we can have our revolution, the action that the insane leftists did, which was abolish the Judiciary Act, was re-strengthen the state level. And this is why the writ quo warranto is being applied by citizens within states that have that remedy for state positions. Not federal. We're not looking at the federal congressional position or the federal Senate, right? We're looking at state house, state Senate, secretary of state, governor, AG, those positions. I mean, you could go for sheriff too if you want to. State council, county commissioners, whatever you want. It's in the evening. Um, I want you to know that in the state of Ohio, it has been franchise or privilege, judgment, Judgment in an action in quo warranto is rendered in favor of the person making the claim to an entitled office after taking the oath of office and executing any official bond required by law, he may take upon him the execution of that office. That is actually written in stone, okay, in the state of Ohio, okay? That is written in stone. That basically says if the person is found guilty for taking a seat illegally in general, then they will vacate that seat. Now, you can't sue them for damages of what they did in that seat. You can't. But what happens is if that position requires you to have a bond or some qualification, you should have it. The only qualification you need to be a state senator or a state congressman is to be a resident of Ohio for whatever, a year, two years, depends, right, on your state, right? So you have to be a resident of Ohio, and you have to be eligible to vote. That's it. There's no election. You claim the seat, you take the seat. That's it. Boom. There's cases all over the place. Now, Ohio should be very nervous. There are a lot of people that are asking for the governor's seat. I think one of you should take governor and the other one secretary of state. Because here's what's going to happen. The minute we take those seats, and there's patriots in those seats, you are going to fix your state legislation. And the first thing you're going to do is say, if the people have elected someone in Congress or Senate and they don't like them, they don't have to collect signatures. They don't have to wait till the next election. They come to us, the state house, the state Senate, and tell us their grievances. We will address them with the appointed congressman or senator. And if they do not answer to my constituents' liking, we will take a vote as a state to remove them. That's how it goes. Then you set term limits. Every citizen should get a turn. How many of you have been called for jury duty? 
All right, then. Why can't you guys take turns? I mean, Congress in in the state of Ohio in general is two years. Why don't we just give four years and that's it? And we got a rotating door of 99 seats with 99 different citizens every four years. That's how you fix it. You take the reins. They had Project Reigns to take over. We have Operation Reigns to take it all. And ride the wave, ride the wings into freedom. And that's how it happens. Now, there was um, an explanation by a judge that I wanted to read out to you. He says, it will be found that most general distinction of public offices that it embraces the performance by the incumbent of a public function delegated to him as part of the sovereignty of the state. An office such as to properly come within the legitimate scope of an information in the nature of a quo warranto may be defined as a public position to which a portion of the sovereignty of the county, either legislative, executive, or judicial, attaches for the time being and which is exercised for the benefit of the public. Not only do you get to get rid of your state and house, according to Ohio, but if they're nonprofits that your state has an interest or things like domestic violence center, YWCA, you know, all these organizations that take your money and don't help you, you can also remove them and put yourself in that place. Oh, that also includes school districts. Did you know that the Cleveland Metro School superintendent calls himself a CEO? I kid you not. So this is how it moves. This is how it is. And when a claimant institutes a quo warranto proceeding pursuant to the Code of Ohio, he or she must show not only that he or she is entitled to the office and that the office is unlawfully held by the respondent in action, but also that the office is a public office for the purpose of quo warranto. So it's got to be a public office. You've got to be eligible. And you got to see that they unlawfully had it. Now, I know I've been getting emails from people, but I like this person and they were elected there and they're doing a good job. I feel bad. Nobody cares. They could be the best. They'll run later. Right now, they're all being evicted because that's the way it has to be. That's the way it has to be because that's it. And, you know, a lot of people like to throw, you know, dude, you know, I have friends and, and even my, my, my children dude, you're just one person and you're trying to juggle all this. You have, you know, the voting roles. You have your Supreme Court case with that AG. You have, you know, you're doing these Q warrants. You have your show. You have to have the only day job left, one contract. You know, you also have a home to keep, actually two, but the other one, you know, we just have it so my kid could go to school. Um, you know, a daughter to take care of you know, your cat to feed, like, you're just one person. What the hell? Who do you think you are? And it's like, um, that's the point. I know exactly what I'm capable of. And there is nothing that can stop me. And I know every single one of you feel the same way about yourself. We eat chaos for lunch, don't we? We eat trolls for lunch, don't we? That's what's up. It'll get done. Where there's a will, there's a way. Yes, yes, I can say this weekend, 
I was so spread thin, so burnt out. I was such a bitch. Anything, it would make me snap because I felt completely underappreciated for myself. And that was bad because then that means that I'm not doing it right if I feel bad. And it's like, you know what? I really don't care. We're going to get this done. They're going to eat our dust. They're going to know who's boss and whose boss is the citizens of the United States. It's not you sitting in your high castle. It's not you with your expensive ice cream in your freezer. It's not you that prances around on my dime to travel around and do speeches that you get paid for, even though I'm paying for the car to take you there. You pocket that money, right? It's us. It's the mom. It's the retiree. It's the teacher. It's the paraeducator. It's the bus driver. It's the taxi driver. It's the train engineer. It's the cashier at the bank. It's, it's, it's anybody but them. We are the owners of our own sovereignty. We are in charge. And so while everybody there is naysaying, I, it's not going to do anything. Oh, what? What do you mean it's not going to do anything? See, there were so many people that used this quo warranto in the past that it's created more legislation. If anything, if anything, it'll give us even more legislation. I mean, think about it. There's three things that need to be fulfilled. You need to be eligible. Check. You need to show that they are there unlawfully. Check. You also need to do what? Show that the office is that of a public, of, uh, that it's a public office. Check. So where is it that we're in a deficit? Oh, well, the unlawful part. Really? Really? I guess maybe then you haven't read my affidavit. Why is the EAC trying to make stuff up? Let them present certificates. We want them to do it. We want them to do it. Because see, what's not online and that I have is what Ohio said they were going to do to abide by the Congressional Act of 2002 called the Have a Fair Voting Act or whatever, Have a Act. No, no, no. You can't renege on your word. The Have a Act created the EAC in order to keep things in order. And at the end of the day, if you have not done that, you're in violation of a congressional act. And therefore, you have taken your position illegally. And unfortunately, we were just made aware of this and we were seeking our remedies. Now, whilst I'd love a lawyer to put it together, I think there's enough online to just plaster it in and put the nice words and make it so. Because there's not much to say except the office was taken unlawfully. Here's the evidence, all these appendices. It is a public office and I'm entitled to take it. Thank you. That's basically it. There's three things that it examines and those three things we can address. Why does everything have to be so complicated? I actually had someone in a room saying, what, um, because it, depending on your state, depends on the filing fee. So what, uh, what, did, what did they say? What, um, security do I have for the $175 that I'm going to pay to file it? And it's like, what? Wait, are you saying you're going to invest $175 to claim a seat in the Senate or House or governor or secretary of state, whatever that may be, and you want me to give you assurances for the money you're going to spend to try to save your nation? 
my response should have been, fuck you. I think I said it like that in a nicer way. Uh, because how, how are people thinking like this? Obviously, they're trolls. I get it. But remember, there's, there was always that saying, if you win Ohio, you win the elections. And therefore, we're going to have to see how the Supreme Court in the state of Ohio addresses this. I mean, they're going to have to prove that the office isn't being held unlawfully when we have papers and documents and evidence of so. We also have their reluctance to answer citizen questions and complaints about the software that these machines that were being used for the elections are done. They may come back at you, but Ohio, see, that's the thing. People were like, well, we need to prove that the software was manipulated. So we need to go to these battleground states. Do you know what I was saying? Why? That's dumb. They're going to cock block you. They're going to delete things. They're going to cycle them through. They're going to, why don't you go to Idaho or like Ohio or Alaska where they didn't lose because they all have the same damn software and the same damn algorithm. But no, you know, they knew best. You see, this is where my frustration comes. It's because I already know and I still say, well, maybe we could speed it up. Maybe it'll be better if I can fix it faster. And you give them the right information and they all dismiss you because they know best. Know your place. But they don't say it like that. They say it with their actions. Know your place. Know your place. Know your place. I got a spot here, dude. I've got stars. I've got stripes. I've been in the agency 20 years. I've got this. Know your place. You worked with that crappy person that I don't like. I did. But you're acting like Brennan. I'm not. That's the thing. Even the good guys were blocking everything. You heard it, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh. It feels like we lost because Tori said that. Yeah, it's, I already knew it was happening. Why do you think I went there? I think it was more of an ego thing as to why I went there. Rather than me sit back and say, all right, I'm going to be doing what I'm going to be doing because that's what I have to be doing, but I want to go and see if I can speed up the process. And it, it went, and I did. Two days ahead of schedule. But the thing is, like, I was so angry. I was angry. And it's, 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 it's you know, I don't like feeling angry. I don't like feeling angry. I can't be angry with someone that doesn't know. It's like getting pissed off because your infant doesn't know how it feeds itself, right? And I'm not saying that people are infants. I'm just trying to bring an example. I get angry because I already know how it pans out. And it's like, um, but you, you're the plan. It's the people that rise up the right way and get it done. It's not the three percenters with their militias. It's not the guns. It's not the boycotts. It's using the tools that they have forgotten about. And that was a secret weapon that they forgot about in those six inches. And using it the right way. Getting them in a game where you put them in a box. I mean, could you guys imagine the Supreme Court of Ohio right now? I already know they know. And they're all, they already have people researching the cool warrant. Though, I, I swear. I already know this. I already know this because I have two sources within the Supreme Court of Ohio. And um, the justices are really freaking out. They were trying to find a way 
to to see if there was a complaint that they could file if everybody does it and they can't because we're all individual citizens contesting it at the same time. So obviously I had my sources put in there a couple months ago, knowing what's happening and knowing what's coming. And that's it. And <laughs> they're upset. They all want to see the document. I know that within the group, I've got two people that work for the Ohio government. One of them actually works uh, for a clerk for a justice that's watching what we're saying. And this is why the people that have signed up with their emails and their names will be invited to the Zoom call via email. Therefore, your email is documented. Therefore, when there's transparency, I'm just throwing it out there, they will track down who you are. And if you're working for a justice, it'll compromise the case and you could be in a lot of trouble. Kind of like how reporters would leak information to people, like insider training and tips, right? They get in a lot of trouble later. So I'm just putting it out there. And I'm going to mention that in the group too. If you work for any of these government officials, directly or indirectly, and you sign up for the Zoom call, then you need to understand that it'll be 100% transparency and you're screwed. So I just thought I'd say that now rather than later, since we're having our call tonight, so that you're aware that we're aware. And by we, it means we the people. So we're gonna be filing this next week. Um, uh, quo warrantos are usually treated as um, civil actions, right? Uh, there have been cases in the state of Ohio where people have filed them in their district courts and they have failed because the district court does not have uh, the right to do it. It's actually, it remains a law of the state. And when it comes to public office, it always goes to the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals. That's where the jurisdiction lies. So you can't go to your local court and file it. It has to be at the Supreme Court. So, um, you know, this is, this is going to be interesting. I mean, uh, from this morning catching up because I had to like, fix my emails. We only have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 13 spots in the Ohio Senate claim. And then we have about 30 out of the 99 in the house. So um, uh, that's what we've got left. So whoever's on by, I mean, if we don't get all of them, that's fine people lose out. Um, maybe I could see if I can independently file a claim, uh, like after we win or lose, whichever it is, uh, because we win in both cases. So it depends it, whether we win seats or not win seats. There we go. Cause either way we win. I mean, this is where justices have to decide if a congressionally passed act carries water in the state of Ohio. So for those of you that are in um, districts 35 through 45, uh, districts 26 through 31, districts 17 through 22, district 8 through 14, 1 and 3, and um, district 63 to 71, 77 to 80, 85 to 99, uh, those are still open for the state of Ohio. Um, I finally did, like I said, with the DDoS attack, um, uh, get, finally get a hold of my emails and respond. I'm really excited um, because this is where you guys get to do all the work. 
And I know you guys are going to just be amazing in every one of your states because it'll be your turn soon. I know South Carolina is busy on it. But um, it's going to be uh, pretty awesome to have you guys take office, like tip it on its head. And you know what? It's going to be one of the most fearful things, all sitting politicians will be feeling. I could just imagine when that goes through what they will be thinking. I can just, can you guys imagine it? Like, think about it. All of them know they can be removed. All of them are probably thinking, how are we going to argue this? We'll get the evidence. See, I've been warning you. I could have just done this right quick within a week, but I'm busy. But on the other hand, I like to tell people what I do. Um, I had a troll tell me, you're psyoping me. And I was like, dude, if I'm psyoping you, I'm telling you that. I don't sugarcoat things. Pandora never launches an operation without saying it. So I would tell you that. What I'm doing is educating. If you feel that it's a psyop because you don't like the way you have responded to everything, well, then so be it. What we need to do is just take it out and move it along. And I will be working with every single state. Ohio is going to be the one that rattles the cage. Ohio is the one that is going to terrify the people in D.C. Because the minute you guys take office, the first thing is you're going to do is come into session to say, we want to give power back to the people. We're going to create legislation that gives us, the House and the Senate, the power to recall federally appointed congressmen and senators, and quickly. Not in a few days or if they've had this much time. If someone doesn't like what you've done, Someone doesn't like how you voted. You need to respond. I will take it to my constituents. And if my constituents say, I call bullshit, that's it. And you know what? It could be pr done pretty simple. You could do that stuff online. Have your own channel with your constituents. Say, hop on, guys. Let's do like a monthly Zoom call. Boom. And you've got it done. See, this is how it's done correctly. When you care about your community, you care about your city, you care about your state, you care about your children, your neighbor's children, that's how you show you care. Not sending a dollar to some commercial on Ethiopia or clicking, yes, I'm going to donate to St. Jude's at Best Buy. It's by actually caring about what happens to your neighborhood, your neighbors, your children. Just because you don't have kids doesn't mean you don't care about the schools. And while many people are like, well, the state is already red. Red with rhinos. Who the minute we started this, we're like, we're going to put a President Trump date. No, you're... No, no, no. You don't get away with it so quick. Don't get away with it so quick. You're all getting removed. We don't do smoke and mirrors anymore. And there are many patriots that have taken positions. Don't get me wrong. There's a few of them there that I feel really bad they're going to get removed. But the bottom line is, you're there illegally, therefore you should go. And if a patriot seat is not claimed, that patriot should say, you know what? They're right. I have unlawfully taken my seat. You know, because if they were real patriots, all of them would resign at the same time and call for special elections and say, all the elections are fraudulent. We got our positions fraudulently and we are stepping down. Why haven't they done that? Because they're greedy. They're, they're going to tell you, well, what's the point of me stepping down when I can make a difference here? The fuck are you doing? Nothing. You haven't done shit. So what you could have done, Ohio, being so red, let me answer that for you, is you could have said, these elections have always been rigged, the people have been maimed, and we are resigned. They have more than 90, they have what, 80, 
80 seats, 75 seats are Republican in the House of Ohio. Why haven't they stepped down? Why haven't they said this is fraudulent? The elections are fraudulent. Why haven't they said that? Oh, let me guess. Because more some animals have more rights than you. You see where I'm going with this? Because could you imagine if the whole legislation of Ohio resigned saying that there's election fraud, what a big movement that would be, but they're vaginas. They're not in office because they care about you. They're in office because they care about themselves. Because if they didn't care about themselves, they'd be looking to see how they can fix this. So before any Republican dare turn around and say, and I know you're listening, that is sitting in the state house, state Senate, going to say, well, I'm here to make it better. Then why don't you step down? Why don't you speak up about it? Why don't you say something? Why don't you tip the state on its head and resign right now? Because you know what? It's going to be embarrassing for you and your kids and your family and your friends and your business, because most of you have all these businesses to be dragged through and told that you have taken a position not intended for you with rigged machines and rigged elections. Now, you know, you can always change that before next week, but if not, this is how you will be remembered. As the congressman of your state, as the senator for your district and your, and your and house for your district, as the vagina that wanted the benefits of saying that they're a house rep and a state rep, right, right, state senator, as opposed to doing the right thing. Because when you actually believe in something and you believe in the Constitution and you believe in fair and, and transparent elections, you would have stepped down in mass, all of you together in protest for this charade, but you didn't. And I know you guys got my letter telling you that you should do so in November, but you didn't. I mean, maybe cup threw it under the rug or something, you know. He doesn't like me right now. But that's the way it is. I mean, I got you guys rounded up for Rico in Toledo. There's a lot. Your citizens, your constituents know you better than you know yourself. And not only will you be contested of taking it illegally, but all your dirty laundry will be dragged out. The money you've taken from Pharma, from Wexner, from Epstein Corps, from Battelle, it'll all come out. And you'll probably have to walk out in shame. So you can do what the big boys do, like Portman did, which is step down now. Not, I'm not rerunning. It's step down now. Because Portman thinks by not rerunning that he's okay, we're still coming after him. We're going to come after every single penny he's made. And we're going to take back every single dime he stole. That's how it goes. So again, for all of you that have friends that are in the state, house, or senate, maybe you can ask them. If you're saying that they're rigged, but you're not, and this is why those legislators in those states didn't speak up and they sat there and turned their head the other way and said, well, we validate the results because that means their jobs are invalid too. You see, self-preservation, you see, see how it makes sense now? See how it makes sense?
That's why your state legislator is not going to talk about, oh, yeah, the elections were rigged for Trump. Um, Dude, you were on the ballot. Yeah, Um, so I guess then the, the election wasn't rigged. Yes, see? So for all of those telling me, but that person's a patriot, that patriot should have stepped down and said, all oh, these machines are rigged. Everything is rigged. They're, 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 they're picking people. They're selecting people. And maybe some of us get through the cracks sometimes. But no, no, no. They did not step down because they like the gym membership. They like the prestige. It's not prestige. To serve the people is an honor, not a prestige. <laughs> Just saying. You think we got a pebble to throw at you? Damn, watch out. We're going to make, what was that boulder? <laughs> what was that movie where that boulder was coming down and it like, oh, like in the Indiana Jones movie down the hallway with the big boulder? Yeah, that's what's up. So for any of you coming at me saying, well, they're a patriot. Fuck that. If they were a real patriot, they would have stepped step down immediately in solidarity for the fraudulent elections, per se. I hate that word, solidarity. It's such a communist word. So they would have stuck, stuck to the truth and said, look, all the elections are fraud. I was elected in 2020. It was fraudulent. I, I'm sorry I can't take this position because I don't trust the election results. You see it? Because it's very simple. Truth is very simple. When they start waffling to you, it's not true. What did I say? How do you know yourself? How do you know the end? How do you know what the ending is? You got to know the beginning. But in order to know that, and the only way to know that is by knowing the truth and taking it down to the bare bones. Like the Q, Q warrant, three things. Like the fact that your state legislators haven't stepped down, they're all corrupt because they have all stayed silent. I mean, it's different from where I see it. You know, like I say, I'm always watching things from the moon. But, you know, some people just say it's a figure of speech. You'll see. <laughs> That's how it goes. So on that note, I am going to say goodbye. I will email every single person that submitted their name for a position for the Zoom call. I'll give you guys the spiel of where we got tomorrow. And um, for those of you on Twitch, get ready. We're going to raid in a bit right after this amazing song. Dangerous, everybody's circling in a sports Negative, nepotist, everybody's waiting for the fallen man. Everybody's praying for the end of times. Everybody hoping they could be the one. I was born to run, I was born for this. Whip, whip, pull me like a race horse. Pull me like a rip cord. Break me down, pull me up. I wanna be the slip, slip. Word up on your lip, lip. Letter that you rip, rip. Break me down.